Hi, I'm Steve Simone, and you're listening to Labor of Love with my buddy, Mr. Jason Love. Steve Simone from the world-famous Comedy Store. World-famous because they said it is. I love what Steve does with cadence and volume to, to give that comedic effect. His stories start real slow and then they get faster and faster and louder and louder and there's jokes and mayhems and payoff and then it starts all over like a roller coaster click 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 steve simone check him out master of his craft i am jason love your host this is the labor of love podcast i'm on my way home from santa cruz decided to drive through the night and get home at four take the car back I always rent a car when I have a, a route like this up north. It started actually on Thursday when I had two gigs, both of them train wrecks. <laughs> Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. The first was for the Beverly Hills Chamber of Commerce. And I have to admit, I have a very low opinion of Beverly Hills and the people who occupy it. It's not just the arrogance and self-absorption and the fact that all the women look the same. They all have money face from the same planet, planet money face with the duckbill lips and the cheekbones. It's that um, it's, uh, they wouldn't even make eye contact with me. I was hoping they would prove me wrong. I wanted this to be the event that turned me around, but instead they just added a big exclamation point. I'm not sure why people wouldn't m- make eye contact with me. We were at a mixer for the Chamber of Commerce for all the, uh, they knew I was a business owner, or maybe they could sniff it out. Maybe it's I was the only guy wearing blue jeans. They're a $300 pair of blue jeans. Thank you. Given to me by True Religion for a gig I did for them. So I think a $300 pair of jeans should trump your little dockers or whatever it is you people wear. I don't own slacks. In fact, I've got a cruise coming up. I've got to go buy slacks because you're supposed to lounge around in your nice clothes to, as, to give a good impression for the staff. Like Thoreau said, beware of endeavors that require new clothes. Okay, I'm not sure that's, those are the exact words. Something like that. And it may not have been Thoreau. But anyway, when I was on the, uh, this, this Beverly Hills mixer was at the Infinity dealership on Wilshire. <laughs> right in the heart. And there's no easy way to get to Beverly Hills. So not only is it miserable when you get there, but... In order to get there, no matter what direction you take, whatever angle you hit it from, it's these sketchy, narrow roads with overinsured, self-absorbed people. It's a recipe for disaster. And I get there, and uh, I valet my car for a dealership. <laughs> I'm already in the hole a little bit. Not happy about that. One of the many things I dislike about that little town. And... Uh, I'm waiting, and they they consider me they consider me the help. You know, I I felt like a maid as I have in on other gigs that I've done in Beverly Hills, where I wait around and I wait around, and nobody comes over to. They don't treat you with the respect that you would have, like if you were in Montana. You know, you're the star. You're the you're the guy who came into town to entertain. In Beverly Hills, you are uh, you know in the kitchen. 
So they wouldn't, they weren't coming over, and I had another gig to get to. I finally had to go over to them and say, um, you know, maybe it's maybe I just go up before the announcements. That was the plan. They were going to put me up after the announcements. So they go f- flag down the mayor McCheese, whoever was uh, the head of the c- the chamber of commerce. And there's violinists playing. They're also staff. They're from UCLA, like the orchestra. And they're in the back. So they stop. And the, uh, even the head honcho is trying to get people's attention because it's a car dealership. And there's no sound system. And there's a bar nearby. And people are there to schmooze, to meet the next important person who's going to take them on their next step. It was like a Christmas party for the Kardashians. And I'm watching the head honcho struggle, and he's so, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I want to say arrogant, but I don't know him well enough. Um, he was arrogant to me. He was, he was um, aloof to me. How about that? We'll just say that. This aloof guy uh, wasn't getting their attention, so he goes, well, all right. Well, we got a comedian for you today. Uh, I don't know his name, but uh, here he is. <laughs> Just like to the lions. And as soon as I grabbed the mic, half of the audience turned their backs and walked away. I'd say half easily. And a lot of them went to the bar, the nearby bar, and started schmoozing and, you know, trying to get tickets to the Laker game or whatever these people do. And five minutes in, I had lost everybody. I lost them not only because they couldn't hear me, but because they really didn't want me to be there and made it real obvious. There were like three people listening, and so I made them my audience, and we just had this inside joke where I was kind of making fun of people, and I was doing it as loud as I could to show them that th- those people were so tuned out that they, I didn't, they didn't even know I was making fun of them. And then Mayor McCheese kind of caught on to what I was doing, and he gave me the wrap it up signal. And I did, and I was happy to wrap it up. And uh, I always feel a little awkward asking for money when it doesn't go well. And I'm like, well, it was a, it was a great idea. It was a valiant effort. Yeah, I appreciate you trying. Uh, pay me. <laughs> and I zoom out of there. I leave skid marks, and I'm, I'm eager to get onto a different stage where people pay attention, and it's a real show, and there's an MC, and there are other comics. And I get to this next gig at a bar a sports bar like hooters or tilted kilts with the cleavage and the guys at the bar watching sports and hitting the the speed bag in the other room and there's no again there's no stage it's this corner that they've carved out and uh, the sound is screechy and it, it, you could just you could just tell walking in like oh boy we are in trouble again folks buckle your seatbelts and sure enough the host goes up and performs sober for the first time ever <laughs> and he's up there admitting that and trying to come to terms with uh, what's happening and what was happening is that nobody was laughing in fact it looked like comedy took them by surprise and embittered the guys at the bar next comic comes up same thing he's kind of having a little bit of a meltdown where uh, he's talking about how the he's forgetting his jokes and um, if done well stand-up is not supposed to be jokes and you're not remembering anything it's all just flowing that's the magic trick so when you call attention like it's like it's like an actor stopping a play and going line and then everybody cringes and freezes up 
So by the time I got there, I had already bombed in front of uh, the Chamber of Commerce. I'd call it bombing, but they never gave me a chance, so it's not like they turned on me. They just turned on the whole concept. So on this one, I had that same posture, like an animal with its back against the wall. I just came out swinging <laughs> and, and uh, called them on their attitude and talked to the guys at the bar and uh, played the fish out of water. I think I was one of two white guys there. Did some jokes about, uh, you know, even the name they have for me sounds all sexy, Flaco Pendejo. And eventually I got them. And by the time I got to the music, they applauded. So um, it felt good to, to, to come out of a nosedive. And then I left there so I could go on this trip. And I'll share very briefly. I did uh, a couple of shows um, and ended up, yeah, I'm, I'm fast forwarding, as you can tell, ended up at the Crow's Nest in Santa Cruz. I was the last of the three. And the Crow's Nest has a reputation for being a difficult room. And I've been there on those nights where it is a rough sailing. But then there are nights where it just hits. And tonight was that night. I got, you know, it's like karma balancing itself out. I don't know, but uh, very hot room. The MC made me extremely nervous because as soon as I met him, I like that all of my... My, my douchey alarms went off and just the way he said hi and like he was too cool to meet me and he was there with his buddy. It was like um, if you're in high school and then there's a guy that you know normally might be cool with you but now he's next to somebody he's trying to impress like a, the cool kid table and so now he won't look at you and he, he doesn't want to say hi. That's the vibe I got. He didn't want to be friendly with um, you know, Mr. Frosted Tips. I don't know. I don't know his reasoning. But he wasn't very nice. And he got on stage and went right into some really blue humor. And it's especially at the top of the show as the MC, you gotta you gotta do that straight up. You know, you can't, you can't go right into graphic, sexual, pornographic language and women are there and it, it's I, I, I am a little old school in that way where when I when I hear certain things, I feel like it's disrespectful to women or mixed company. And so I was uh, kind of preparing to write the ship for him. But people were, I could tell by how nice they were being, even though I could hear them going, ooh, ah, like they're, they're trying to cover up the awkwardness with chuckles and stuff. So I could tell they were good people. And uh, it w I, I just, I was trying to speed, I wish I could have sped him up and got him off. You know, I'd, I'd rather have just gone up cold without an intro. But sure enough, just a hot audience. They were just all on board. There was this guy in the front row who, who was laughing before the punchline. And um, I finally had to call him out. And I told him, uh, called it premature ejoculation first. <laughs> Hacky mcschmacky. And then I told him it was like, uh, I wish we could have a doll and you pull the string and his laugh came out. It'd be like, it would be an alternative, like a holistic alternative to uh, Prozac. And I also spent the day in Santa Cruz because I drove in from Walnut Creek the night prior. And um, so I, I spent the whole day just wandering around like a homeless person. 
and it was cool because when I started the show, I was able to, to, to share all these things. Like, I had the full Santa Cruz experience. I watched guys play hacky sack over a volleyball net. Well, <laughs> amazingly, two on two. I watched this guy walk out of Whole Foods with the beard and the, and the baby strapped to the front and the Birkenstocks. I got that part. I got the um, 60-year-old on a skateboard guy who just would not give it up. I did not get cheated. And I told him I got to see the uh, protesters downtown. Not protesting a modern war. They're they still protesting Vietnam. I did not get cheated. So that was fun to connect with them. And that was that. I'm on my way home. But here's the story. Man, I don't know why you listen at all. I, I really, tr- I really um, question your judgment and podcasts at this point. But here's my story. I uh, did this uh, this wedding, and I, I, I promised myself no more weddings. I got ordained. You know, I'm like a high priest and everything. took about two minutes online and $12. Uh, so I can marry people now. I could marry, um, I bet you I can marry man to man and woman to woman now that that law's passed. And what's next? I'll marry a man with a dog? Stupid. Um, and I, just, I said I would not do it again because it's not stand-up comedy and what am I doing? I would, I would rather spend those few hours just pounding the pavement and getting more work or whatever. Whatever it is I got to do if I'm that hurting up. But, uh, uh, but I did one because they asked real nice and it seemed okay. Here's what it was. They were Chinese people. Young, a young Chinese couple. As it turns out, as the world turns... They were already married, and they didn't want to tell their parents because it would bring shame and dishonor or something. I don't know. So they had to go through the ceremony, the very expensive ceremony in uh, Redondo Beach at the Portofino Hotel, where I had already done a show for uh, Smokey Robinson's wife and this other very wealthy woman. Uh, (laughs) That was a mess, too. That was probably podcast number three. And uh, this is an outside wedding, and I show up. I'm the only Caucasian there. Not only the only Caucasian, maybe one of four people who spoke English. The 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 vows were exchanged in Mandarin. All the the signs were in whatever that I guess Chinese Mandarin. I don't know, and I can't. I couldn't figure out why they chose me. Like, was I like the ultimate fu to the old? tradition and the old family and they were so proper like I thought somebody was gonna be hung that such was the sobriety and the 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 groom's dad he he looked like the guy who would play the Chinese mafia leader who who ruthlessly has people killed maybe in a James Bond movie none of them made eye contact with me I think we're seeing a pattern here people (laughs) looking through me People ignoring me. And I don't know why. I, I feel like I'm friendly. I try to smile to people. Um, even when I was doing the vows, they gave me a script. I memorized it. I went up there. And even while I was doing it, nobody would look at me. 
And it was very strange. I showed up late, and in the days leading up to this wedding, I started to wonder if they were calling it off because they hadn't called me, they hadn't checked in. You know, For most people, it's a really important day, and there's a wedding planner. And the day before the wedding planner calls me in that wedding planner fever and, um, and asks if I had everything, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> um, I do, lucky for you. Because a lot of a lot of high priests have a lot of things going on, unlike me, my six-hour drive home from Santa Cruz. That's when I memorize stuff. So uh, I get there uh, kind of a little bit late, and it's like places everyone, and there's this ceremony that uh, I start leading, and nobody can understand me, and no one's looking at me. But then. Uh, the two started exchanging vows. It's a, it, they're, they're a good-looking couple, too. They're going to make very handsome babies. Um, and you could tell that they're really in love. And when the male went to speak in front of the elders and the whole you know, 600 years of family tradition riding on his shoulders, and it's the, you could see it's like a merging of families. And I started to realize that I didn't want to do any weddings because it's not comedy and if I'm going to make ends meet, it's easy money and and I just didn't want to do it. But I started to realize while they were exchanging vows that I am three feet away from something really magical and different and cultural. I'm looking out onto the family's faces while they exchange vows and, and the guy, the groom, can't speak. And when in when Chinese, <laughs> there's nothing more funny than a Chinese stutter. And yet, I kept a straight face. No, it was actually touching. He was um, he, he couldn't get it out because you could just see the weight on him. And the and the girl starts to cry. And the and the the dads, of course, there are no tears there. Those guys are like a rock, like a Zen rock. But the the wives were both crying. And he finally got it out. And then the woman, the young, the, the, the bride, she pours her heart out. And I didn't understand a word they were saying, but I felt every Chinese jilted symbol. Da, 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 da. Oh, man, it was, it was moving. I, my hairs stood up. And I finally understood marriage in a way uh, that you only can when it's mute, when the, when the language isn't there and you're not being distracted with the words and all you have are the feelings and there's this tribal, this coming together of the families and then afterward the son goes up and he hands the, he gets an envelope from both of the dads. I don't, it was written in Chinese. I was trying to see what it said. Uh, it, looked like, it looked like they were handing them, you know, orders to kill somebody the way it was done. And then the, the males hugged, and the females hugged, and then a flower was given. We tried this sand ceremony. didn't really work out. And the reason is that whoever, the, wedi- the wedding planner, <laughs> just like the Mad Hatter, she gave us too much sand. And she explained it to me very quickly before we went, before we went on. And the bride had blue sand, and the groom had white sand, and together... And then I had this little poem while they did it. And now the sands will go together. And once they are together, it'll be impossible to put them in to their old containers. But now 
all of their memories will be one, you know, this poem. And then it starts to overflow. And they both look at me. It's about what to do. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just cast as the, as the officiant. And so um, I just go, why don't you just put it down? And they put it down. There was awkwardness. And that's going to come out on film. Hopefully they can laugh about it if they're allowed to laugh in their culture. And then they, they walked out. I walked out first. Nobody looked at me on the way out. I was completely invisible. I could have been a monkey, and they would not have known the difference, and they wouldn't have understood me any better. Um, and so I decided after that day, and by the way, I finished this I finished this ceremony. I'd already been paid, and I just kept walking right to my car straight there. I didn't have anyone to say goodbye to. The, the bride and the groom weren't particularly friendly. I know it's their big day, and it's, you know, I, I, I just gave them their space, uh, and they took it. And the wedding planner, she was busy. I'm like, yeah, I'll just keep going. And right as I get to my car, this guy comes off the beach on his bike. And he looks like um, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He looks like he's been partying a very long time. He's been at a a barbecue party a little long, a little leathery, but uh, healthy. You know, he said he's working out somewhere. And he, and he starts into his sh- spiel about, hey, you know, did you just marry these people? Are you a priest or something? And I thought he was just being friendly. And he finally gets to the part where, well, you know, I had a job and then I didn't. I'm like, oh, you want money. You could have just saved me my time, man. I would have just given you a your couple of bucks and we could have both gone on our merry way. You don't have to, you know, I don't need foreplay. But I didn't have any money, and, and he didn't believe me, and he told me that I could go to the ATM on the corner. Oh, man, the, the strange, what a long, strange trip it's been. But I've decided since then that I'm going to stay open to the weddings. I, I feel like any time I do something other than comedy, I'm kind of wasting my time. But... Uh, after that day, I felt like, you know, there's something, there's something to be said here. Maybe I'll start a movie called, uh, like, the, like a sequel to Wedding Crashers, where I'm the, the officiant who comes in and just partakes and gets all the free champagne and the, the Chinese food, all the Chinese food he could eat. And that's my story, ladies and gentlemen. I'm passing by the Mid-State Fair, where Motley Crue played tonight with Alice Cooper as an opener. Alice Cooper kind of looks like a carny. He could travel with the fair. I appreciate you tuning in. I'll smell you later.